Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. How's it going? Anthony Kazenzi here with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast and CincyJungle.com. Rough one yesterday, right? Um, we kind of felt that the Bengals may have made uh, mounted a, a great comeback and uh, instead familiar heartbreak ensues and the Bengals uh, let another winnable game from the 2021 season slip through their grasp yet again. I apologize for not doing a post-game show yesterday. I actually was um, watching the game elsewhere. I was actually out at a public venue, um, had some plans, previously scheduled plans. I still knocked out a, uh, <laughs> a an article for CincyJungle.com, so that was on there. But, uh, you know, had to, had to kind of call some audibles, had some family things come up in the evening. And so I wanted to combine both the headline show and our post-game show with an episode right now so um at any rate good to see all of you we're going to get to we're going to do this a little differently than we do during the week because we're going to go through the box score like we usually do and then we're going to go through some headlines so this may be a little bit of a longer show but it should be a good one jammed with a lot of different stuff in case you're new here welcome to the live recording of the show and uh, you can get this show on your favorite audio streamer whether that's itunes stitcher spotify Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, any of those major platforms, go and subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. And then from there, um, you can get notified when new shows are there. Leave us a rating there if you can as well. Or if you like the video platform, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Getting oh so close to 5,000 subscribers, which is pretty cool. So uh, subscribe if you haven't yet. And if you're new, join us for the live recordings. Join us for other... Um, you know, other shows we got and, and episodes we have on the YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Hit the bell to be notified when we go live. So, uh, look, a lot. Uh, I'm going to try and <laughs> shift gears and, and uh, you know, wear a couple of different hats here. Look, a lot to digest from yesterday's game. For sure, a lot to digest. And the, the issue with that, um, look. It was a pretty ugly game for the better part of three quarters. It kind of took a miracle play by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on a fourth down in the fourth quarter for this to kind of become a game and get to the point of the overtime situation. Bengals were kind of on a roll. There's been a lot of criticism of Zach Taylor and his handling of the game. We'll, we'll have some quotes as we kind of transition into some headlines and whatnot. Um, but I mean, when you look at how overtime was handled, very conservative approach there, the Bengals did get a field goal, but inevitably let up the touchdown there at the end for the game winning score. But, uh, look, uh, th- there was a- an issue with the Bengals, how they came out 
of halftime and the play calls air three straight runs for nine yards. Um, you know, Joe Burrow wasn't lighting the world on fire early in the game, but I mean, at some point you have six points, you're down in this game. I think at the, after halftime, it was what 17 to six. I mean, you got to start moving the ball. You got to start getting chunk plays here. You have a franchise quarterback. I think at some point you got to, you know, start to rely on his arm. They did later on and, and lo and behold, the Bengals come back. Chase continues to amaze and frustrate T Higgins is playing the best football of his career in this three game stretch here, three straight 100 yard games. We'll talk about that and coming off of the career game against the chargers last week in terms of yards and catches. Um, so at, at any rate, it, I mean, it's just very, very frustrating. And unfortunately, you know, I think the optimists and, and, you know, I, I flip back and forth between optimism and pessimism with this year's team, but the optimists would say, look, it's still a young team. They're still in the playoff hunt. They're going to have these hiccups. They're going to have these growth moments, et cetera. Agreed. But I also think that we're starting to get a little tired of, well, they're developing. Well, we're growing. Well, we're in year three of the Zach Taylor regime. We are in the second year of Burrow and company and the remaking of this roster in Zach Taylor's image. There's a lot of talent on this roster. And and so you got to credit Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor and company for them and how they've you know constructed this roster. But I think the it starts to get a little stale, even 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 if it is still true at this point for a lot of different reasons. I think it just gets a bit stale to keep hearing, you know, they'll get there, they'll get there. Well, uh, it, it's just patience is wearing a little thin, I think, with a lot of folks, myself included. But I do I do understand and subscribe to the fact that there are growing pains to be had with this team for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a good good point by Joseph Kepke. And by the way, if you uh, have a comment and you are tuning into our YouTube channels, we've now added super chat. So um, you know if you if you feel so inclined, that would be awesome, and we will get you on the air with that. But Ke- Joseph Kepke's um, comment here burrow also went like multiple seven to eight minute stretches in the half because of darius phillips yes yes um and, and it's not just zach taylor's play calling but we also had this kind of debate and conversation in the marvin lewis era didn't we i mean you know where you say well the players have to execute yeah but it's also on the coaches too to make sure that they are mentally prepared that they are prepared for the moment um you know, I, I hadn't I hadn't heard anything from Darius Phillips, Darren Simmons, or anyone else saying anything about maybe the kind of the gloomy weather, the evening, kind of messing with the vision. I don't know if that was the case, but it wasn't really a problem for the 49ers. They weren't bobbling kicks and punts and whatnot. So uh, at, at any rate, um, look, I, I think a lot of folks right now, I, I think they're trying to be patient, including myself. They're trying to be patient for all, all we're seeing from this team and all that they are proving to us. But we're also, you know, just patience is wearing a little thin right there. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm not calling for Zach Taylor to be fired because I think this team is making positive strides. And I think they're, you know, and I only bring up that sentiment because that seems to be a talking point nationally right now because of the handling of the second half of that football game and at critical moments in overtime, opening the, opening the second half, et cetera. But I just, I also think that, you know, th- there needs to be some conversations. And unfortunately, 
you know, when we talk about the team growing and developing and going through these growing pains, the coaches have to as well. You have to remember that the the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, and the head coach are all placed in specific jobs wherein they were not uh, they were not previously uh, experienced at the NFL level. There, so at any rate, um, let's let's get into the box score here and take a look at some things as we digest things about twenty four hours later. And by the way, I I, I guess I will. I will take the blame for this loss in a way, Bengals fans, because I joked earlier in the day. I had I've had a rough stretch of, and not to not to be Debbie Downer here, but I've had a rough stretch of the past, I don't know, 24, 36 hours. I go to my kids' soccer game, somehow an indoor soccer game, and on the way into the in- indoor facility, I step in dog crap in my shoe. <laughs> so that started off the day and then the Bengals lose. And then I go and I'm, I'm doing some work. So I'm trying to have lunch delivered via DoorDash and they delivered to the wrong house and I didn't have lunch. So it just keeps getting better and better folks is, is what I'm trying to say. I kid a little bit, but a little annoying, seriously. At any rate here, when you compare the games by the respective quarterbacks, two pretty good games by, by the quarterbacks, Jimmy missed Jimmy G missed a few throws that, you felt like he should have made, and there, you know, there was an interception that Jesse Bates had right in his bread basket. He dropped it. Burrow threw a couple of interceptable passes early in the game too, but really took the team on his back and led them. Basically, he and Chase single-handedly kind of led, led the team back. I mean, there there were a couple nice stops from the defense in there as well, but um, both quarterbacks sacked five times. I believe both of them were hit a total of of six each. Um, so it, it, there was a lot of pressure being generated. And also I think there were some of those were coverage sacks. I think the, the quarterbacks ran into, you know, it's, it's a myriad of factors. Every time there's a, there's a sack. Yes. It's great defensive line play or a free blitzer. I specifically remember, um, one instance by the, the 49ers where they blitzed a defensive back and got to burrow. So, uh, you know, you, you, you see here 348 yards, 25 of 34, a 10.2 yard per completion average, two touchdowns, zero interception interceptions by burrow, a 125.6 rating. I believe he had one of the highest, uh, PFF scores of the year. I think he was around 91 overall. So a great score from him, in this game, despite the sluggish start on offense and the Bengals scoring just six points throughout, you know, and hanging on to that total throughout, uh, you know, late into the game there, Jimmy G 27 of 41, 296, two touchdowns, zero interceptions again, sacked five times. He had a rating over hundred as well, 103.3. So uh, two, two very, you know, high quality days from the quarterbacks efficient. There were, there were obviously some times wherein both guys were a little, uh, you know, a little rusty or, and I guess rusty is not the right word, but there was just some slower points in the game from those guys, but uh, it is what it is. Nothing too big to write home about in the run game for either team. Jeff Wilson had, uh, you know, and Debo Samuel had the rushing touchdown, a nice one, pretty poor angle that I saw by Von Bell, Von Bell among others on that play, on that kind of end around play. You knew one of those was going to come to Debo there. Uh, eight carries for 37 for him and the touchdown. Really, a lot of pedestrian stuff aside from a couple of decent run plays by uh, Boyd and Chase, an eight-yarder and a six-yarder. Okay. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan, four carries, 11 yards. Joe Mixon, 18 carries, 58 yards. And that's the second week in a row where the Bengals have really failed to get Joe Mixon going. And 
no coincidence, they are 0-2 in that time. So, uh, San Francisco did crack 100 yards, 100 on the dot in a touchdown. Bengals were at 86 and 3.3 yards per carry. T. Higgins, as I mentioned, three straight 100-yard receiving games, five catches, 114 yards. Chase gets in the end zone twice, five catches, 77. But there were a couple of maddening drops, one in the end zone. It would have been a hell of a catch. There's no doubt about it. He was diving for the ball, but it was a great throw by Burrow. Another one that goes through his hands, kind of did the double catch and or his hands were in an awkward positioning like they were last week against the Chargers on that deep ball dime that that Burrow threw him, uh, but still made the the back of the end zone footwork was incredible on one of those touchdowns. And of course, the other touchdown uh, to tie it up was was a great one as well. But you got to take the great with the maddening with Jamar chase and uh, he is still developing there, but T Higgins is being, is becoming very, very stable. Uh, CJ is on a nice day, four catches, 56 yards. Same with Tyler Boyd, four catches, 55 there. And a couple of other contributions from P Ryan sample and Mixon in the passing game, a, a total of seven catches between those three there, uh, man, special teams was a mess yesterday and i i it's very very uncharacteristic of a darren simmons led unit we all know darren simmons to be a a, one of the best coaches in the nfl um not not just special teams coaches but just one of the most well-respected coaches in the league overall and man that was just a rough rough day darius phillips muffing two punts and fumbling away both of them then you've got uh, you were forced to put in tyler boyd in there and then you had Stanley Morgan uh, muff one kickoff and and got it back, putting the Bengals in bad field uh, field position. And then before the half, almost looked to have lost another one. Um, they ended up calling him down and and you know not uh, having that be a fumble. But my word! And then of course you missed the extra point with Evan McPherson. At one point uh, he did come back and hit a couple of nice field goals. Missed another field goal there too. Um, did did McPherson so special teams really really cost the Bengals uh, on this on this Sunday here and you can see the fumbles there by by players Burrow did fumble but got it back so uh, Vaughn Bell your team leader in tackles 10 total tackles five of the solo variety two passes defended a couple of nice plays and a couple of bonehead ones I mentioned the poor angle on the Samuel touchdown by him and others and then you had the taunting penalty we'll talk about that very very weak but Letter of the law says that that's what's going to get called. And lo and behold, it got called. And that turned a try for three points into an eventual touchdown. Um, so, you know, Vaughn Bell really hurt the team a couple of times too. Bates, same deal. Um, had a, had an interception late in the game, right in his bread basket and dropped it. Could have been a pick six. Maybe a couple of others on the side of the screen, bottom of the screen could have got up to him. But um, that would have been a game sealer. And, and he did not corral that. So, um, that was costly and, uh, you know, that really would have made him a little bit of a hero on the afternoon, unfortunately not. So Pratt's playing pretty well, nine total tackles. He played pretty well throughout the day. One pass defended, uh, kind of in and out of the lineup played pretty decent. Two passes defended and a tackle for loss, six total tackles. Ogan Joby had a sack. BJ Hill continues to play great on the interior as well. Had another sack, both of them basically identical stat lines with the exception of, Ogan Joby in there for two tackles for loss. Reader had a sack, so the defensive tackles really wreaking havoc in this one for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then, of course, you had Trey Hendrickson, who left the game early with 
back spasms. Uh, so, you know, he, he had to leave. And uh, unfortunately the Bengals had to make do there with, with that injury, Cam Sample and others providing, um, you know, some, some other reinforcements there. Uh, it sounds like, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit when we transition to headlines, but it sounds like Hendrick Hendrickson's uh, injury is not overly serious. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see and, and monitor what happens there. Uh, but we'll talk about that in just a second, but uh, Cincinnati's defense, you know, kind of made a lot of made a lot of plays. Did not, uh, you know, force the turnovers and whatnot. Um, you can see here if you go back up, they had there were a couple of fumbles here by Garoppolo and Juwan Jennings. None were lost, and then Garoppolo did not throw an interception, so they didn't they didn't force any turnovers. Um, they sacked the quarterback five times, and they really, I mean, twenty six points through the better part of five quarters on your home field. Not terrible. But really, where it, they it just they did not come up in the clutch situations. They did not, you know, when every drive is important. I know we can point to every drive and say this drive was the one they got it. Oh, this drive. I mean, every drive is important. But when you look at Jesse Bates dropping that that critical interception late, Von Bell, that personal foul penalty when when the defense had a stop on a third and seven. These are the types of things. Uh, and there were others. I mean, just really uh, later in the game, they did they didn't have an answer for for George Kittle. And you, you kind of wonder what was going on there, but that's uh, some of the tale of the tape in terms of stats, et cetera. We'll get to a little bit more here, but um, uh, you know, th there's so much to, to point to, um, you know, again, special teams was just a major, major factor in this one. And um, you know, I don't, I, it's, it's inexplicable. And unfortunately when you, it's one of those games where you look at this and the Bengals were not doing great on defense or, you know, if they were letting up a lot of points or that sort of thing. And some of the games in recent history, we've seen the defense give up a lot of plays and yards. We've seen the offense turn the ball over, which was the case against the Chargers the week prior. So the offense takes care of the ball this week. And granted, they got off to a sluggish start and whatnot, but Take, they take care of the ball, and then the defense can't force a turnover, and special teams is a mess. So it's just kind of, again, the, the whole concept of complementary football, uh, you, you have to be able to feed each unit, each respective unit of the team has to be able to feed off of it, each other to play well and or whether it's picking another unit up if they slack or uh, you know, one unit does something well, and then right after the following unit, right on deck there, uh, does something well to back it up. You can see here pretty evenly matched in a lot of different ways. Uh, both teams were pretty lousy on third down, four of 13 for the Bengals, five of 15 for the Niners. Um, passing first downs, 14 to 16. First downs, 21 for the Niners, 22 for the Bengals. I mean, you look at this, it's, it's pretty even. Total plays, 69 for... The 49ers 65 for the Bengals. Total yards, Bengals had 397. Um, Niners had 355. Total drives, 13 by four, the 49ers, 11 by the Bengals. Yards per play, 5.1 by the Niners, 6.1 by the Bengals. And I think that comes with the explosive plays towards the end, obviously. Passing, um, Bengals had about 60 more net yards. Passing, 255 to 311. Um, rushing 186. So, I mean, there's nothing here that really is, you know, time of possession, 33-50 for the Niners, 34-17 for the Bengals. I mean, the, the the real disparity here, you look at both teams were atrocious in the red zone. 
you look at the penalties there, six of 40 for the for the 49ers and two of 19, one of which is that costly, costly one by Von Bell that I mentioned. So the Bengals were only penalized twice in this game. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of comments about discipline issues and all this kind of stuff. They're still not being they're still very, very lowly penalized. Um, you know, it just, they came at bad times. They never really come at good times, but they came at really bad times and ended up extending drives. The Bengals were unable to get out of their own way there. You see the red zone, uh, 49ers were two of four in the red zone in terms of touchdowns in there. And then the Bengals were one of five. Uh, so yikes, that's, that's not good there. A couple more tales of the tape with, uh, with everything on this game. So couple of other kind of thoughts on this one before we kind of transition into some of the headlines and whatnot that uh, are coming out of this game and around the rest of the division in the league. You know, I see Sterling Sherwood also, that was a hundred percent fumble by the 49ers. I see that Facebook comment here. Um, you know, Shin Godzilla says, so we're back to the Bengals motto. Wait till next year. We know how this works next year. Never comes. Uh, I don't know who we is, but uh, if you, if you missed, the beginning of the show, I was talking about how it, I think patience is wearing pretty thin among the fan base and among uh, those who cover the team really hearing kind of the same things. But we also do have to recognize this is a young team. This is a team in transition. And quite honestly, a lot of people would argue that they have overachieved a bit based on some preseason expectations by whomever you would have asked. So, um, you know, they're still in, they're still in the thick of things. They're still in the playoff race. They are, if the playoffs were to end and start today, I'd rather the Bengals would be out of it, but they are right there and they have two very winnable, what seem to be very winnable games in the division. Um, this, this division still seems up for grabs right now. Cleveland took care of Baltimore, but Baltimore had Lamar Jackson hurt. I it just, you know, this division, nobody really wants to run away with it. So, um, at any, at any rate, uh, that is, uh, some of the things going on here, there are a couple of other things that were missed here. You know, there was a, the taunting penalty on Von Bell. Okay. I mean, I, it's a weak call, but it is what is being called. And so I can't, I can't fault the referees necessarily for it by the letter of the law guy points points at a player, what have you, that's going to get called, especially this year with how frequent they've been calling it. The issue I have, there was another taunting penalty that should have been called on the 49ers later in the game uh, by, I don't, I can't really pronounce his first name well, but Tart, number three, the defensive back for the 49ers, he had a taunting play that didn't get called uh, against the Bengals. You would have liked to have seen some consistency there, and therein lies the problem with the taunting penalty, a lack of consistency. Um, so, you know, but you look at this whole thing, and you again, you say the Bengals just continued to shoot themselves in the foot with the special teams errors, be it kicking, be it, fumble returns, et cetera, not coming up in the clutch, dropped interceptions, all these kinds of things. Um, and, and there are different schools of thought on where the blame is with that, right? It's like, okay, do you just not have the right personnel and these players aren't executing as they should? Or is this up to the co the head coach and other coaches to get these guys ready to go, ready to play, mentally prepared so that these mistakes are extremely limited? Four bobbled or fumbled kickoffs and punt returns in this game uh I, I didn't see you know any kind of clear indication of rain i know it was cold i know it was later in the evening but that i, I know one was ruled down but basically three you can you can argue four major issues in the, the return game of, of ball security issues it's inexcusable 
it's inexcusable. So, you know, you have to, you have to figure out what the issue is. I would definitely assume that there's going to be a new kick return punt return person, whether that's Trenton Irwin, Trent Taylor, whether that's Tyler Boyd, who was back there, whether that's Puka Williams, um, Brandon Wilson, obviously missing him. That's, that's an issue on kickoff returns, uh, kickoff returns. So, you know, a lot to figure out on special teams there. And unfortunately the Bengals uh, are, are a team that um, still are learning how to, to win these games. And unfortunately um, there are some talking points as it goes with their head coach and some other players that um, make it, make this one difficult to swallow and make the future a little bit murky for this team. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out-of-reach ideas begging to become real solutions. They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And what do I mean by that? We're going to transition out of the postseason, uh, or excuse me, post-game type of type of chatter here, and talk a little bit about some of the quotes and headlines stemming from this game and going into next week as it pertains to the Bengals. And you see here, uh, this is from our our friend over at CincyJungle.com. In case you have not seen it, Drew Garrison wrote this one up, kind of summarizing a bit of confusion and I'll pin this in the live chat for everybody here. Zach Taylor gives a confusing answer on the overtime offensive game plan. Um, and as we mentioned, there was a lot of um, conservative approaches, etc., with the Bengals overtime plan frustrated a lot of folks. And so you, you see here, um, you know, a lot of a lot of vintage LSU stuff, as Drew points out. Um, here, here's the tweet, kind of from Paul Daner Jr. and a little bit of reaction from Drew Garrison here. Taylor asked about not writing Burrow as the hot hand at the end of overtime. Admits it felt it feels like an error. "Quote: Yeah, I agree with you. That's one that will keep you up at night." And he kind of reiterated that on Monday as well. Um, the fact that this was an issue with. Um, 
you know, the, the game plan is not something that he, uh, you know, he definitely thought about it. <laughs> he definitely thought about it and gave it second thoughts, third thoughts after the game. Doesn't really help after the fact, but I mean, that's one that will keep you up at night. Unfortunately, this is also as we can kind of transition a little bit out of the post game stuff and into these headlines, but these are the narratives that start to come either back to surface or start to be created as it goes with the Bengals. And we now look at these one possession games. Some of those are, are continuing to be issues that has always been an issue with Zach Taylor. And so, you know, when you have kind of potential game management issues or game management questions those are the things that people will will point to and essentially when the Bengals are in the playoff hunt and they're not getting there because of these types of decisions uh, questions are going to be asked questions are going to be asked that's the bottom line and then here's another headline from cincyjungle.com circling around Zach Taylor he remains winless when trailing after the third quarter. So one of the main reasons uh, among many that the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow was because he, you know, can he, uh, football smarts, accuracy, leader, all of that. But also you kind of get the feeling, and yesterday was proof of it, that the Bengals will never truly be out of a game until uh, you know, with, with Joe Burrow under center, they will never really truly, you, you feel like you always got a chance to come back. You feel like you got a chance to be in every game, all of that with Joe Burrow under center. Um, unfortunately here, I, I'm, I've seen Owen 23, Owen 24. I haven't gone back and looked, but it's, I mean, it's right there. Owen 23 or O and 24, I guess. Um, this was at 342 or 642 there. So um, I think that was, I think it's 0-24 now is what the record is um, that Zach Taylor sits when not having a lead going into the fourth quarter. So that's yet another indictment of who the Bengals are, what they can or can't do. They need to start being able to get these comeback wins. Yesterday, that game was there for the taking. It didn't seem like it was early in the fourth quarter, but that game ended up being there for the taking based on Burroughs' heroics, Chase's heroics, and the team not quitting. And unfortunately, they still came up on the short end of things because of putting themselves in a hole early, self-inflicted wounds, and the conservative game plan that was shown in overtime and at the beginning of the third quarter. So uh, that is not a complimentary statistic centering around the Bengals head coach. And these are the types of things that need to start turning around the trends that need to be bucked in order for the Bengals to make the postseason to do, you know, make noise in the postseason when they get there as well. You can't, you can't have stats like that and be a true contender. Unfortunately, some important players got injured or re-injured in this game yesterday, in case you did not hear. So Riley Reef injured his ankle. Uh, he injured it against the Steelers, missed the Charger game, and then uh, was forced to leave 
after getting the start against the 49ers, he re-injured the ankle. So that's not good news. Isaiah Prince came in and did okay, but for the most part, the PFF scores on the offensive line were pretty bad, uh, at least from a pass blocking standpoint. And you can see that, bro. And we'll get we'll show you a, um, a, a interesting tweet here. And we while we didn't have the numbers, if you watch the game, it felt like that and you'll see what i mean in a second here but uh bro was pressured incredibly often sacked five times and you know unfortunately now the 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 plan with the offensive line maybe even if you want to call it a lack of a plan with the offensive line the injury to reef obviously that's a biggie but um you know it's just not sustainable when your quarterback is getting sacked five times a game um you just you can't have that and i know we all know it's not all on the offensive line we know running backs miss blocks we know quarterbacks run into sacks we know all of this there's a myriad of factors that go into a quarterback getting sacked but the pressure rate was incredibly high yesterday again he took he did take five sacks and uh it's just something that's not sustainable um you know if you want to be a successful team so they need to clean this up for the short term get guys healthy, figure things out, but they also need to figure this out long-term and maybe another revamping of the offensive line needs to take place this off season. We'll see. Let's go to another. Um, yeah, this is, this isn't good. I mentioned earlier, Trey Hendrickson had the sack early and then had to leave the game. He apparently has back spasms, which is good news, bad news. Um, you just wish bad news wise, you wish he never had them. Um, but good news, that's not overly serious. So um, here's the, you know, there's an article here on Cincy Jungle saying the Bengals defense will have to adapt if Trey Hendrickson misses time. Yeah, they'll have to do that. Cam Sample and and it, you saw Sam Hubbard kind of doing some different things at times yesterday, almost playing like a hybrid player in some packages. So um dropping into coverage and whatnot. I think the Bengals were just trying to disguise and do all kinds of different things on defense. But at any rate, Trey Hendrickson, um, they'll need to figure it out if he misses time. However, I'm going to share this tweet here. This came from ESPN's Ben Baby earlier today. Um, and it is Zach Taylor confirming that Trey Hendrickson had, he had back spasms. So when you see here, and it confirms Jeremy Fowler's report, um, back spasms yesterday, he's hopeful he will be limited early in the week, which is a positive sign for Sunday's game against Denver. And the Denver game is pretty much must win time. The Bengals have four games left. Um, you'd like to see them at this point win three of them. They definitely have to have two and if, if you're looking at three, this has to be one of them that seems to be very, very winnable. If you have to only have two, I mean, I guess you got to settle for the two remaining AFC North games at home against Baltimore and in Cleveland to end the year, especially with the log jam in the AFC North. But uh, this is this Denver is an up and down team as well. They, it's at home, meaning Denver's home. So that's going to be it's going to be different and difficult for the Bengals, but uh, they need all hands on deck. The Bengals actually got a lot of guys back yesterday who were hurt from the previous two weeks. So, um, you know, hopefully that means now that, th that that's a sign for Trey Hendrickson coming up this week, but uh, we will see. At any rate, Hendrickson dealing with back spasms, and I don't know what you want to uh, – 
what you want to make of it, but we got to keep an eye on the practice report this week to see how he's worked um, and, and if he'll be available, obviously, towards Sunday. My guess is he, he will probably, unless there's some great news that happens this week, he'll probably be a game time decision because that's usually, uh, you know, how these things go. They can go away and come back and linger and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to need to see how this goes this week with, you know, limiting his practice and, and all of that. Um, that's going to all need to be something to be monitored here. Uh, so a couple of good news headlines coming out of this one. The Bengals wide receivers are kind of making some history here. Jamar Chase making history. You can see that catch there. I believe that was the touchdown that tied it up at the end of the game there. Um, but as SB Nation's Twitter account notes, um, he's got a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns and you can see this i'll pin it in the live chat for you folks here a thousand yards and 10 10 touchdowns as a rookie and he is only the fifth guy in nfl history to do so joining odell beckham jr mike evans randy moss and john jefferson imagine if he didn't have some of these drops we've seen this year if, if he caught most of those some of those half of those would be this may have come even earlier <laughs> than right now. Still an outstanding season from Jamar Chase. No doubt about it. He is a big, big reason why they have been successful, why their offense is far more potent this year than last year. But he's a guy that needs to gain consistency. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So uh, congratulations, though, to Jamar Chase getting his 1,000-yard season in his first season. That's quite, quite an accomplishment, obviously becoming the go-to guy from Joe Burrow. Oh, but is he? Because T. Higgins, as I mentioned earlier, has three straight 100-yard games. He is the sixth player in Bengals history to achieve that mark, joining some very good names like Chad Johnson, Carl Pickens, etc. A.J. Green, the team leader with five, I believe. Uh, yeah, and this is from Jay Morrison. Uh, TJ Hushmanzada in 07 had three. Chad in 06. Chad in 2002. Uh, Pickens had four of them in 94. And Isaac Curtis back in 73-74 had three straight games of 100 yards receiving. So Higgins is also very close, I believe, to getting 1,000 yards himself. Um, and you can see here he had um, – 114 against the Steelers, 114 this week, and those are sandwiched around a 138 and a touchdown performance against the Chargers. He needs 190 yards to get his first career 1,000-yard season. Almost had it last year, even with Brandon Allen under, under center, um, but got hurt in that last game against the Ravens and never saw it through. Just another additional twist of the knife to end that season <laughs> last year. Um Okay, so we talked about this a little bit, and my, my co-host John Sheeran wrote an article here on CincyJungle.com talking about the Von Bell taunting penalty. Look, uh, I, I think he's kind of echoed a little bit of the sentiments that I had said about this particular penalty here, but... Um, According to DJ Reader, this is this is really interesting here, and I gotta pull this back up here. There we go. Um, according to DJ Reader, uh, 
Vaughn Bell, when he pointed, said, quote, you almost hit me, direct quote, that's all. Um, here's the deal. We've seen the time. I, I, here, I'll play it for you folks here, um, and I'll see. I don't know if this one has. So I'll, I'll mute it here, but um, I'll expand it for you too so you can see. Essentially, here's, here's the Vaughn Bell penalty here, and when you see it, um, you know, he's running with it. And he said, I think he said something to the effect of you almost hit me. Now they pointed right to the guy's face and he looks right at the ref. That was a third and seven. And that was going to be a, a, a field goal opportunity for the 49ers. Instead extends the drive. They get a touchdown, go up 17 to six in the second quarter. Um, we all know that this rule has been uh, what has been seen and called by these refs in this regard seem to be very, very weak penalties. But the letter of the law on this penalty states that those weak, the pointing, the spiking of the ball, any of that kind of stuff to show up the opposition is not going to be allowed. So even if it gets misinterpreted, that's that's what's going to happen. And unfortunately, even if this was a bit more innocent than an actual taunt by Von Bell saying, you almost hit me, maybe he's just talking to the other player, I don't know. Um, it, it didn't, you know, the ref didn't see it that way. And I mentioned that there was another instance in this game wherein Tart of the 49ers could have been called for a taunting penalty and was not. So it's, it's another subjective rule here that interjects personal opinion, but from referees to, make this to be able to make this call and unfortunately it it can it can derail things for a team i mean it's it they are it's it's a deciding penalty for sure deciding penalty and uh i don't know uh you can you can take that for what it is but uh that is that's the penalty that's what it was called and why it was called was just because that's what the letter of the law says. And, you know, I, I undoubtedly, I, I would think that this penalty gets readdressed in the off season in terms of how they call it. And uh, I think there are a lot of folks that are not, um, not pleased with it, not pleased with it. Uh, our buddy, Jake Liskow of pro football focus, just getting or pro football focus, giving out some pro football focus scores, of course, with the lockdown Bengals podcast, um, Go back and listen to our episode with, with him and James Rapine. That was a fun time. The four of us chatted. Jake Jake tweeted out a, a really good one here. Per PFF, Burrow was pressured on 47.5% of his dropbacks. 49ers blitzed 10% of the time per those numbers. When pressured, Burrow was insane. 12 of 13 for 204 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, it kind of matches up. When you, looked, when you look at all the dropbacks that Burrow had yesterday – you felt like he was getting pressured on about half of those dropbacks, right? I mean, it just uh, it felt that way that he was just feeling heat every time he was get, going back in the pocket. So that uh, is an unfortunate truth there given to us by our buddy Jake Liskow. And we will talk about this. Let's let's talk about next week a little bit. Before we do, I want to remind everybody about our partnership with Symbol. S-I-M-B-U-L-L. And that is where you can play sports like it's the stock market. 
Go to symbol.com slash OBI, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com slash OBI, and you can get started today. And what can you get started with? Well, you can invest some money in teams like the Cincinnati Bengals that seem to be teasing with us week after week. But even if you got in on the ground level when we first partnered with Symbol, um, you probably made yourself quite a bit of money. But if you if you see long-term potential with a team like the Bengals, um, that you can make money off of them. Maybe another team that's on the rise. Maybe another team in another sport because they do other sports aside from American football. Symbol is where you can buy teams like they are stocks. And, oh, by the way, if you sign up and use the promo code OBI, of course, short for Orange and Black Insider, you get a 90-day money-back guarantee covering up to $500 of your cash. So if you start an account, you go in there and you put in $500, of course, after putting in the promo code OBI, for three months, they will cover your losses up to $500. So if you go in there and you're tinkering around, and that's how confident they are in this, in this product. If you're tinkering around in there, you're not doing well, you say, I'm done, they will refund your money within those first 90 days. But you got to use the promo code OBI and you got to go to symbol.com slash OBI to take advantage of it. Go to Symbol today. Proud to be partnering with them through this season. It's been a great partnership and uh, go check that out for sure. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Going into this week, the Bengals are slated to go to Denver. And a couple of news and notes coming out of that. The Bengals are slight underdogs against a uh, against a up-and-down Denver Broncos team. They're seven and six on the season and six and seven against the spread. So the Bengals are uh, one and a half, uh, one and a half dogs this week. Um, and so, well, maybe, that, uh, yeah, one and a half. Yeah. So it was one and a half last week. They were underdogs at home to San Francisco and then one and a half again for their week 15 trip to Denver. Um Interesting because this seems to be two very evenly matched teams. But again, that kind of, if you were to say neutral field, this may make the Bengals a, you know, a, a pick them or a, you know, maybe a point favorite because sometimes those fluctuate between two and three points at, for home field advantage if it's otherwise even. So as the Bengals go to Denver, they are 1.5 point underdogs, um, maybe to be expected because of a road game and, and two pretty evenly matched teams. Cincinnati's going to need to figure this one out, though. This is a game, you know, they get more and more important as the the weeks go on here. And now, um, 
you know, unfortunately the home games are dwindling and the Bengals are not winning games at home. They're better on the road than they are at home this year. Go figure that one out. So uh, at any rate, Bengals are underdogs going into this one against Denver. Um, we've got a one to end on, at, at least in terms of Bengals specific news with Charlie Goldsmith. And who, by the way, will be joining us this week. Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer. He is set to join us to talk about the Bengals, the direction of the team and what's going on with them. So you won't want to miss that interview. Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer set to join us. But he has a tweet here. Um, Zach Taylor says that cornerback Trey Waynes practiced all last week, uh, all week last week, and quote, it was really hard to ask him to play off of three days of practice. Waynes would have been on a limited snap count with a Wouzier's injury. The Bengals needed more certainty at quarterback, cornerback, quote, we need him. So it sounds like, don't quote me on this, but it sounds like we are getting closer to seeing Trey Waynes in the lineup. Now, I don't know what capacity that would be a starting capacity, a limited snap count type of capacity. We'll see, but um, the more depth, the better at this point. So uh, I thought that was an interesting tidbit of news, not only pertaining to last week, but this week and the weeks ahead with Trey Waynes and the Cincinnati Bengals going forward here. So keep an eye on that. Now, as we transition, like we normally do to the rest of the AFC North, we'll be here just a few more minutes going over some other NFL news. Um, we've had a long show because we combined the post game wrap, uh, a delayed post game. I know. I apologize. I did not go live last night, but had a lot of a lot of things on the plate. Um, at any rate, one game we were all keeping an eye on as it pertained to the Bengals was the Browns and Ravens game. The Browns were in control for most of this one, and the Ravens came screaming back on the heels of a touchdown followed by a recovered onside kick. Um, Cleveland ended up beating them 24, 22, I believe was the end score on that one. Uh, in this though, big, big news. Lamar Jackson left the game early with an ankle injury. Now it sounds as if, um, you know, they had Tyler Huntley go into the rest of the game. It sounds like this will not be something earth shattering for the Ravens who, by the way, have just had Bengals like, luck as it comes to injuries this year and when i say luck i mean that sarcastically obviously because the ravens have been decimated by injury this year and this is on baltimoreravens.com uh the ravens are planning john harbaugh is planning on having lamar jackson back on sunday against the packers big news for them a tough matchup for them and so when you look at the schedule i know we're not in a great place with the Bengals off of two straight losses, two straight losses at home, but you've got the Ravens come, they play the Bengals head to head and they play, you know, the Packers, they play some tough teams. And then you've got the Browns kind of doing the same thing. I'm not so worried about the Steelers because of their loss on Thursday night, but also because the Bengals have two wins over them. And uh, you know, the Steelers just have been kind of down this year. So um, I, I'm not too worried about them, even though they are still hanging around. Give them credit, but I'm not overly worried about them. It's mostly, I think, now a three-horse race between the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Browns. And with these teams all kind of beating each other already, big, um, you know, big implications going forward here. So, um, at any rate, 
Lamar Jackson planning. They are planning to have him play Sunday. We'll see if that changes. And of course, we'll see how effective he is if he is playing. You know, it, it sounded like it was maybe one of those high ankle injuries, but we'd have to, you know, see what what's happening here. Okay. So a little bit on the Steelers here. They made some roster moves on Monday. Uh, and this is on Steelers.com. They activated offensive lineman Joe Haig from the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, Haig's been around a little bit um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year and Colts and all kinds of stuff. So uh, he's bounced around a little bit, a name that sounds I'm sure sounds familiar to some of you out there. They also signed defensive end John Simon, a guy that was with the Ravens. They drafted him a handful of years ago in the fourth round. Um, and so he uh, was with them for for some years and the Texans and Colts, Patriots, uh, you know, all kinds of different teams. He's played in 99 games. Um, they released kicker Sam Sloman. And they placed defensive back. Lyndon Stevens on the practice squad slash COVID-19 list. So a couple of different uh, transactions there, roster moves by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So um, check that out. And some, some familiar names there perhaps for some of you. Now, this is, again, I talked about this, the remaining schedule of the Browns and the Ravens. Um, not necessarily an easy road. Now I know the Raiders have fallen off a bit, especially since that game against Cincinnati, but um, you know, the, the Raiders play the Browns and we know that the Browns have been one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams. Um, so and the Raiders is not, they're not even with their struggles and all the things that they've been through this year. Um, they are still not an easy out here. So, but uh, it sounds like Kareem Hunt and Troy Hill, remember Troy Hill, by the way, undrafted guy that played with the Bengals for a while. I had the uh, distinct pleasure of actually interviewing him years ago at the NFL PA bowl in Los Angeles. Um, and was, it was a, when he was coming out of Oregon there, but uh, Troy Hill now was a starter essentially with the Rams for a while. And now with the Browns, a guy they really like, but Kareem Hunt, Troy Hill, unlikely to play against the Raiders. So a couple of big missing pieces there for Cleveland and uh, as they get set to take on the Raiders. So you've got the Ravens taking on the Packers. You've got the Browns taking on the Raiders and you've got the Bengals taking on the Broncos. So, um, you know, again, another week where teams can do some, some different things here. So uh, here is, we're going to have some, uh, uh, news here on the giants apologize for that little sound clip there uh we are going to have some news here on the giants and joe judge uh, the giants took a bad loss yesterday against the chargers here and you see the giants are making strides internally that should produce success in 2022 joe judge I uh, said, quote, let me make this perfectly clear on mine or anybody else's hypothetical future. I'm never going to comment. They're four and nine. Um, they lost 37 to 21. It was really a lot worse. I think it was 37 to 10 at one point. So they, you know, they kind of did a couple of things to make it a little more respectable. But, um, you know, Daniel Jones, largely ineffective and hurt now. I mean, they were playing Mike Glennon yesterday at quarterback, um, Jake Fromm was on the sideline, not, not playing. So, you know, I mean, 
they, they've got a lot of decisions to make. Quote, we talk about the intangible things, about how the guys put the team first and treat the people in the building and make sure that they're doing everything the right way to represent the organization and put the team first. Um, so uh, tough decisions needing to be made there in terms of the uh, the Giants and what they will need to do to right the ship. Uh, a lot of injuries and a lot of just ineffectiveness across that roster like here. That so, um, uh, unfortunately they have some tough decisions to make, like I said, whether it's at quarterback or what have you. So, um, this is a really interesting, and, and I, this guy always kind of does a little bit of the, uh, I don't want to say shock jock type of thing, but, uh, he's a guy who does radio and he's an interesting dude. Uh, Adam shine over at, uh, NFL.com. This is an interesting one. He, it says panic season. So these are teams in playoff panic. I think he has them in order too, but Baltimore Ravens, he's got them here. Here's by the way, here's their remaining schedule. They host the Packers. They go to Cincinnati. They go to the Rams and then they, I'm sorry, they go to Cincinnati. They host the Rams, host the Steelers. So that's not an easy schedule. Last four games there for the Ravens, by the way, look, who's number two, us, the Bengals. Uh, and he writes, Ugh, I love this Bengals team with Joe Burrow's moxie leading the way, but Sunday's overtime loss to the 49ers was gut wrenching. Um, and so you know, he's talking about these Bengals now on the outside of the postseason field looking in are too talented to miss the playoffs. They can't, not after starting the season five and two, not after sweeping their longtime tormentors in Pittsburgh. Um, calling Sunday's game in Denver a must win. Uh, they host Baltimore, so they go to Denver. They host Baltimore. They host Cincinnati, uh, Kansas City, and then they end in Cleveland. Not an easy four-game stretch for them either. Washington is the number three team. Bills are number four on this panic list. Five are the Raiders. They are six and seven. Um, Carolina, they are five and eight. Um, and then you've got the Giants. I don't, you know. I don't know why they're really on there based on their record. Um, so a couple of other in terms of panic, uh, panic season, uh, interesting stuff by Adam Shine there. Go check it out on NFL.com. And yes, we had to, we're, we're not throwing in the towel on the 21 season yet, folks. We are not throwing in the towel. Let me make that clear. But hey, when there is a 22 mock draft out there to be digested, let's take a look. Why not? Especially with weekly, the uh, picks shuffling a little bit. They have a couple of linemen, both defensive and offensive, going with the first couple of picks here. This is Ryan Wilson over at CBS Sports. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, I believe he was the he was the safety who just declared uh, officially a couple of days ago. So he is slated at number nine and they have the Bengals. I think they're probably picking about 18 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there we go. 17. Um, and they, he has them taking Kenyon green an offensive lineman out of Texas A&M 6'4, 325. Uh, the Bengals opted to take Jamar chase over Panay Sewell. And it appears to have been the right decision, but they still need to make protecting Joe Burrow a priority. Green Bay can play either, I'm sorry, Green can play either tackle or guard, and he has the ability to be a day one starter. Valuable piece, but another guy where you go, okay, is he a tackle? Is he a guard at the next level? I am not. I think we have enough of that <laughs> going on in Cincinnati personally. But uh, at any rate, 
go check out the mock draft on CBS, CBS Sports there. And we will end it here with an official look at the playoff bracket. And this is the playoff bracket here in the hunt. Uh, so the number one seed, if you can believe it, are the New England Patriots. Um, nine and four. Number two seed is the Tennessee Titans, nine and four. Number three, Chiefs at nine and four. Ravens barely clinging to that number four seed as a divisional leader at eight and five. Bengals had a golden opportunity to re-seize the AFC North yesterday, and they did not. Um, so they are the fourth seed. The Chargers are the fifth seed. The Colts are the sixth seed. The Bills are the seventh seed. On the bubble, you've got the Browns ahead of the Bengals at the eighth spot because of their earlier win against Cincinnati. You got the Bengals at number nine at seven and six. And then you've got the Broncos nipping at their heels also at seven and six. The the Steelers, who will just not die, being about as 500 as possible. Six, six, and one. Uh um, as many ties as wins and then, or excuse me, as many wins and as losses and a tie to boot. So <laughs> go figure that one out. Raiders uh, are the 12th at six and seven. The Dolphins after starting really, really slow are kind of back in the, in the picture there on the NFC side. Um, pretty predictable. The Cardinals are 10 and two atop uh, everything. They do have the Monday night game tonight against the Rams Packers. Um, they have the bears coming up here. They're 10 and three. The Buccaneers are 10 and three, big win over the Bills. Uh, they are the three seed. The Cowboys beat Washington. They are the four seed. And then your wild cards, the Rams at eight and four. The Niners jump back in uh, with their win over the Bengals at seven and six. And then Washington is six and seven as the seventh seed. Washington, they were like, what, eight and eight last year or seven and nine or something and made the, made the postseason. And now they're six and seven and slated to make the postseason as well. Oh, to be in the NFC East. Um, Vikings are the eighth seed at six and seven. Eagles are also six and seven. And the Falcons are, are in there as well as the Saints at six and seven. So that is your updated playoff picture with the result from Monday Night Football between the Cardinals and the Rams pending tonight. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It was a long episode, but we did our postgame kind of stuff. And usually, almost every single week, barring something, you know, a different time or what have you, we have the post-game show after and following the game shortly after. So uh, expect that. We've got our main show, our analysis show on the Orange and Black Insider with myself and John Sheeran coming up. And as I mentioned, Charlie Goldsmith from the Cincinnati Inquirer is set to join us. And then, of course, we've got listener questions live. We've got fantasy football, all kinds of different stuff. So um, check it out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. Subscribe to, if you like the audio platform, subscribe to the show, the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, which not only includes this show, but Ace and Zim's Orange is the New Black. And, of course... Matt Minix, Coach Speak, and Chalk Talk, all part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Subscribe on your favorite audio stream or leave us a review so we know how we're doing. Appreciate everybody. We're trying to get your week off on the right foot, even though the Bengals lost. Have a good rest of your week. We'll see you with all kinds of different episodes this week. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon.
Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts.